We should do the intro. I suppose that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> Got stuck somewhere. I guess we didn't work all that out yet. We didn't work that out. It's fine. It's all right. It's all right. So this is episode one of Under the Radar. Uh, I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. You may know our other podcasts. David has been doing Developing Perspective for many years. Uh, I did Build and Analyze first. Now I do the Accidental Tech Podcast and Top 4. And uh, this is going to be a show about development, basically. It's kind of like the the uh, the sequel, the combination of Build and Analyze uh, with Developing Perspective. And uh, in the spirit of Developing Perspective never being longer than 15 minutes, David, how long is this show going to be? Never longer than 30 minutes. So let's get started. Let's get started. I think the place to start seems right now we're recording just after the Apple TV App Store launched. Uh, and it went online, I think, on last Friday. And it's, you know, it's had it's had its, the usual fanfare and the things that go on with that. But neither one of us uh, launched anything on day one. And I mean, for myself, it's the first Apple product I've ever not been in the store on day one for, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I uh, I think. I mean, I I was there for the watch and the Apple TV and and I even I even got one of the early access developer units um because I thought I might use it and it just literally sat on my desk and I was I was so busy doing other things um because I I was doing I was working on Overcast and trying to get the 2.0 update out the door. And it, that kind of precluded this because if I'm going to make an Apple TV app it has to be all about streaming because local storage with the Apple TV is so limited. And I didn't have the streaming engine done yet, so I I worked on the iPhone app first, and I've been I've been doing bug fixes on that since. And I just I have literally not even opened a, a, like an Xcode project with the TV. I've never I haven't even seen the TV simulator. I have not written a single line of TV code yet. Have you? Yeah, I I got a yeah, I got a developer kit as well, and I wrote um, a version of Pod Wrangler, my podcast client. Uh, for the Apple TV, and it works and it plays. Um, I didn't get, spend the time and energy to get it ready for day one, though. Um, but it's like the, the, it's an interesting developer platform because it is essentially iOS just minus a bunch of stuff. Like there's a couple of new things, but essentially it's just iOS UI kits um, with a different input mechanism uh, rather than obviously being touch based. It's uh, remote control based. Um, but I used it, and it's like it's it's fine and easy. Um, the thing that ultimately I think slowed me down though, is I just became like, there's just so much else to do and so many other things that like, if I'm trying to be on every Apple platform as a one man shop, it's essentially impossible now. And so I looked at the Apple TV and I'm like, it's going to be a long time before there's a big market there. And so I just didn't prioritize it. Yeah. And, you know, and I feel like, you know, we're coming at this from from two different viewpoints here. You know, I'm I tend to work on a very small I tend to work on usually one app for a span of years. I very rarely have additional apps. Uh, I'm not very good at splitting my time between multiple apps. I pretty much just do one thing. And I try to make that one app big and complicated and appeal to a ton of people uh, in order to to keep it going. Whereas the background you come from, uh, is is I think much more interesting, honestly, because you know when people and this is one of the reasons I wanted to do the show with you, um, and and one of the reasons I wanted to call it under the radar, because when people do, when people think about Apple developers, they tend to think about the, uh, the handful of well-known ones who make mass consumer apps that you may have heard of, so apps like Tweetbot or NetNewsWire, or you know the apps from Panic that that you know a lot of developers have heard of or use or are, are wowed by, and there's this massive number of developers 
who we don't usually hear about in in the circle of like Apple enthusiasts and tech bloggers and stuff. And I think you are a very very good example of of this massive market and and I think you you do it better than most people would do it. Uh and so what you do is not like the high profile, you know, high attention Mac blogger long-term ecosystem kind of thing. You do something way more pragmatic. And so can you maybe just go into that briefly for anyone who who doesn't know you yet from who's listening to this for some reason? Um, can you go into like what exactly you do and, and how you got there? So I, yeah, so I've been an iOS developer essentially since the App Store started about seven and a bit years ago. I didn't quite make the day one of the App Store mostly because of like business approval stuff. Um, but I've been developing ever since then. And since then, I've launched, I think I recently worked this out, something like 52 unique app concepts um, in the last seven years. So it works out to be about once, one every two months or so. Um, it hasn't been exactly that even of a pace, but that's roughly the, the, like, the average. And But I've been making a good, steady, comfortable living from it for about six and a half of those seven years. And so I... I have lots of different products in a lot of different areas. Um, I tend to, like at this point, I have probably five or six that are like my main um, income makers. And they each, um, the biggest one of them only makes up a third of my income. So it's a very diversified type of thing. And that's my, the approach that I found that works well for me is to make lots of small bets um, and see which one pays off. Um, in the store rather than trying to take the approach like with you like with overcast if i remember right it's like you spend 18 months working on it yeah um as like a big major focus and like for me the longest i've ever spent on a product before i launched it is probably four weeks or something along those lines and so it's a very different kind of a focus um where i'll put something together i'll put it out in the store i try and make it like good in quality but very straightforward and you know see what happens and that approach means that I end up now with a lots of different products doing a lot of different things. And, you know, I'm as a, it's, you know, I have the, the benefit of diversity in terms of stability, um, but the difficulty in terms of keeping up with things when I have such a, a wide, you know, sort of portfolio to manage. And one thing I like about the way you work as well is that you challenge assumptions that many of us in like the, the other half of this community don't challenge. Like you will, like you, you make your income in part from iAd. I don't know anybody else. I'm, I, I don't think I have any other developer friends who have a meaningful presence w- using iAd, and, and you do. And you will challenge assumptions based on things like monetization, support, app concepts, uh, all, design, like all sorts of stuff that, that you challenge. And, and I think you benefit from that because you, while everyone else is, is locked into this one way of thinking, and trying to shape the app store into like trying to like you know educate consumers into the way they think the app store should be you are out there actually adapting and and thriving in what the app store actually is yeah i mean i i think i try and think of when i, when I look at the app store or thing i guess a business in general like i can't change my customers I, all i can do is react to them for the, for the most part, like I like using things like people should want to pay for software as like a statement. Like doesn't make any sense to me. Like people are going to want to do whatever they want to do. And like my job as a developer, as a businessman is to look at 
the market that I'm, I want to work in and find ways to adapt my business to it. And I don't just use iAd or advertising. Like I make the majority of my income from advertising in iAd. And that's been in some ways been far more stable than any of the more paid or subscription or patronage or all the other things that I have. Like the most stable income I get is from advertising. Um, and I love it because advertising is great because it, it delightfully it aligns developer and customer like goals. Like my goal is to get them using the app as much as I can because the more they use it, the more advertising income I make. And from, you know, if, if they're using the app a lot, that means they like it. And so for me, it was a no brainer to get started, but it definitely is. I know what you mean. Like it's, it's a bit counter to, I think a lot of the, it's not necessarily pretentiousness, but there's a, there's a definitely that air of like, like you want Apple, you want to sell an Apple like product in the app store, but that doesn't necessarily work because Apple doesn't even sell Apple like products in the app store. Yeah. And I think this was all like, I think this was all rooted in the, the community of, of like kind of like nice craft Mac independent developers that, that has existed for quite some time on the Mac before iOS and everything became really so big. You know, people like Panic or Delicious Monster, you know, p- people like that, uh, Brent Simmons, uh, Dave Watanabe, like there's, there's this, this crowd of like kind of old school, the old guard who have been around for a while, uh, you know, Omni Group is a big one, who have been very successful at this and, and many of them continue to be very successful at this. But there was this idea for so long that many people still hold that that would translate into iOS and that also any developer who who would be able to program iOS apps would kind of think that they deserved that same level of success if they just put a if they either just got there at all or if they put um you know a lot of work into something and and there's many problems with this that are way too long to discuss in a 30 minute podcast one of which is that uh that the amount of work you put into something does not correlate to the value that the market will place on it or the ma- the amount of money you can make from it um but i i think it's productive to challenge this notion of like well you know is this really the way the world should work and and regardless of whether I think it should work this way, if this is not the way the world works, like in practice, uh, what what can I do as a developer to to succeed in this market? And sitting around waiting for the market to change to benefit you is probably not very productive because that's just unlikely to happen. Yeah, and I, I, the interesting thing, and I was wondering if, what you think about this because I'm seeing the the spread of the, of your app career in the app store, like you starting an Instapaper, which was paid up front $10, if I remember right. Yeah. The whole first year it was 10 bucks and I dropped it to five. Yeah. And then it's like following the progression. Then I think you know, your income started to shift in some ways more to uh, subscription and in-app purchase. And then switching entirely to Overcast where it became, it was you know free with in-app purchase for features. And then now it's entirely free with, um, like patronage support Mm -hmm. it's you've done you've essentially followed the trajectory of the app store in that way right you're starting with like the the old school kind of well it's it's premium software i should charge a lot of money to it's still good software but the way you pay for it is completely different right and and most of that has again just been because i am like i'm not like thinking i'm like you know, treading new ground and being an explorer. No, I'm usually coming to these to these changes late. Actually, like I, like Instapaper holding the price at ten dollars for the whole first year was a mistake. Uh, when I dropped it to five, sales went up considerably, 
And then, you know, later on, it dropped to three, I think I held it for a while, three or four. Um, and then, you know, and sales were pretty good then. I started experimenting and then shifting to subscription. Um, that that ended up making way more money than I thought it would and doing very well. And then with Overcast coming out at free um, with in-app purchase and, and now with patronage, like those have all done better than I expected them to. And, you know, it this is all about just adapting to what the market is. Many people blame the market on on you know apple not implementing upgrade pricing or the app store not having good enough discovery or search and and all of those things are valid complaints but they're not the biggest problem the biggest problem is there's just a huge oversupply of developers and apps who are who are all trying to compete for the same dollars and the same roles and the same time and attention and so you know back in the olden days when you'd have like panic and omni selling mac apps for 50 bucks uh, that worked in part because of what they were and what people use Macs for and who was buying Macs, but also that worked in part because there just weren't that many developers doing it. If you would have had 10,000 developers trying to make the same handful of nice consumer high-profile Mac apps, you would have had the exact same problem back then. Uh, it, it isn't that the market has has like gotten stupider or cheaper or anything like that. It's that this is now the mass market of what developers do. It wasn't. You know, back in 2006, most developers weren't working on Mac apps. Now, most developers are working on iOS and web apps. And I think it's I think the shift from web to iOS apps is really pretty pretty significant. And so if you think about just that's what so many developers are working on, of course there's going to be a massive oversupply. And of course there's going to be tons of competition and a race to the bottom in pricing. And that's not because Apple is doing something wrong. You know, Apple is not helping in certain ways, but they're not the cause of this problem. And, you know, again, pragmatically, it is it is useful to think of yourself not as somebody who all you need to do is, is ship a, a nicely designed, polished app and money will start flowing in, but as somebody who has to really fight, like really like work hard and fight hard and be lean to try to attract any kind of attention and any kind of money from what is a very crowded, hyper-competitive market. And I think it's also the biggest trap that I know I struggled with for years was un- was this over this feeling of overvaluing my own work, that if I spent a long time working on something, that p- everybody should then sort of... Uh, it should Somehow, intrinsically, that makes it more valuable to people. Right. That they look at something and it's like... Whereas when... Like when people are going to part with money in whatever form that is, like whether that's their, or I guess part with something, like their their, their attention, their money, they're it ha- they're exchanging something for that. Like they they need to be feel like they're getting something in return. And the funny thing is, I think a lot of people think that software intrinsically should feel valuable, like as though like the classic, oh, it's it's they'll spend five dollars on a latte, but they won't spend five dollars on my app. And it's like, well, maybe they actually want the latte more than they want your app. Like your app may not actually be that that valuable to them. And that's why they're, they don't want to spend that money on it. Like you have to be able to wrap your arms around what they're actually buying with that. Like, is it entertainment? Is it uh, productivity? Is it amusement? Is it just, are they exchanging goodwill for money? Like things like when you start to get into, uh, like I know I have I have an, an app with a tip jar in it, or you have patronage in Overcast now. Like your extent there, you're providing a mechanism for people to exchange goodwill for money is really what you're hap- what you're doing there. And 
unless you're able to really wrap your arms around that, it's hard to really like be okay with saying like, that's okay. Like I do advertising because for a lot of my apps, like the app itself isn't particularly valuable to the person. It's useful, but it's not necessarily valuable in a way that for a lot of people, they want to, they would want to put money into it directly. Once they use to, once they use it for a while and like it, they are willing to spend money, but they're not spending money for the functionality. They're spending money to be able to express the goodwill they have towards me for the benefit I've given them. But that's different than it being intrinsically valuable to them. Because when they started, they didn't see it as valuable. They wanted it to be free. And if it wasn't free, I don't think, like I've, you know, my Pedometer app, Pedometer Plus Plus, wouldn't have sold at all, or at least not, not in large quantity that it has, you know, to this point. Yeah, and you know, even as a consumer of apps now, I find myself, even as somebody who was who has been a proponent of paid apps for so long and sold one for so long, when I search for something in the app store and I see the search results list, you know, if I need if I needed something that I'm not looking for a specific name, where I'm just looking for a specific type of app, so a pedometer or a step counter or whatever, you know, if I searched the app store and the first twenty entries in the search are all free and n- entry number twenty one is four bucks that one doesn't stand a chance yeah like that's just and that's just the reality of how people search the app store and and it's it's very important you know as you said like to recognize that um and and you know to recognize that not every app that every that every developer makes is going to be worth a non-trivial number of customers spending two dollars on it or whatever you know like i mean i've seen so many apps that do things that i don't really need you know, like like so many apps that are things like coffee timers. Well, you know, if if a coffee timer is really good and it's free, I might use it, or I can just use the built-in timer on the device that's not as good, but it works. And I think a lot of people go through a similar kind of thought process of, you know, if you if free is a, it's such a different barrier than than any price. And and if you're if you're looking at an app. The alternative isn't just every other app that's in the store that does that same thing. The alternative is also just non-consumption. It's not buying the app at all, not buying any app, and just going without that role in your life. And as we get more and more and more apps in the store, which is only, you know, that's been going on forever now, as we get more and more apps in the store and more and more demands for people's attention and more more alternatives that they can do, like if they don't download your app, they can go check Twitter for a few minutes or play a game. Um, and as we get more and more of those things, more and more competition for everything, non-consumption is also a big problem. And so anything you can do to, to, to address non-consumption, to address people just bailing out and abandoning this, this search or this idea they might have had that this thing they wanted to do, and going free is a huge hit against that. Like, if you can remove that barrier of price up front, then it's so much easier for people to say, you know what? Yeah, I'll give it a try. And it's, you know, I guess the reality is that's how I think we've both been able to continue in in the App Store at this point. I mean, we've been doing it for a long time. Because I, I every, and anecdotally, it seems like fewer and fewer smaller or more independent companies and where people are able to do it. And I do think a lot of it is that it's a lack of pragmatism, that a lack of just like, what is it going to take to make a living in this market? And if you ultimately don't like the answer to that, if you're in your mind, you'll, you only want to sell software in like a premium app store. It's like, okay, well, you might need to do something else then because that may not exist. Yeah. And you need to be in the right place at the right time. If you want that, you know, if, if, if you will not budge in that, like, so right now, so getting back for a second to the Apple TV, which just came out now. The, the Apple TV app store has almost nothing in it. It is very, very sparse. Uh, and 
if you are looking for something like like so i got this apple tv i I plugged it in set it up and i i went right to the app store to see hey what can i get here and i saw a couple of basics you know netflix uh, hbo now whatever and then okay let me try some games i got this cool thing i'm in the mood of trying new things let me go to the app store and try some games and i went and i spent i don't know 10 bucks maybe total on on a couple of games and I didn't even think about it because I'm in this buying mood because I just got this new device. It's brand new, has me excited. And also there's hardly anything there to buy. And of the very small number of games there were there to buy, uh, almost all of them I think were paid uh, or at least many of them were. So I, w- I had no problem spending that money because of the context of this isn't a tremendous app store filled with millions of apps, most of which are free. This is a very, very small app store that right now that that has only very few apps on it and you know that's 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 the reason i was able to charge 10 bucks for instapaper in 2008 you know but but then i couldn't in 2009 because the app store was too full that's going to happen with the apple tv also you know if this thing takes off if this succeeds and and it looks like it's probably going to i mean it might take a, a few years before it has like tons and tons of units out there but it's probably going to succeed and if that happens or as that happens there the app store is going to be way more crowded than it is now and it is going to get harder and harder to sell games and apps for the apple tv for money once there is competition for for that same role in people's lives and so if you if you were going to be the kind of person who wanted to sell a premium app for money you just had a window to do that on the apple tv almost no one has taken up that that opportunity but you just had that opportunity right now and it won't come again on the apple tv probably ever you know like this like this product has now done that and it probably won't come again. Yeah. And so you have to wait till the next big wave. And you have to be in one of those positions where if you're not going to, to be in a... If you're not going to be the kind of person who can thrive in an ultra-competitive, low-priced environment like the web has pretty much always been and like the iOS app store is now, then you have to follow the trend and be early to things be there on day one when new things happen be able to be able to figure out and guess which new things will take off which is a hugely risky process that you will often get wrong and it will often go completely to waste uh and and be there in those less competitive markets but then as soon as the market becomes more competitive you have to either adapt or leave yeah and i think the difficulty honestly with apple tv and why i I, well, well, I think I agree that like the best time to have sold big software would have been like if being there on day one. My suspicion is the narrowness of the window where there's going to have that kind of general rush of, and people being okay with buying things is narrow enough that I'm very skeptical if it would actually be financially successful for most people. That if they had you know spent a lot of time made a, a nice big premium game or something like that, um, especially designed specifically for the Apple TV, the window in which they were going to be able to to sell into a kind of a premium group of people, like people who obviously were excited enough about the product to get it on day one, they're very you know they've just spent a relative in Apple terms a relatively small amount of money for it. You know, it's a, they're not nearly as expensive as, as a lot of the other, other products that, you know, like an iPhone $700 or something, whereas this is 100 and something or 200 And so th- that window is going to be very narrow. And so if, you are, if, if your app requires that you then have big, you know, big sustained sales over the next few months, my suspicion is that's going to be a, a losing proposition. And so that's interesting. And you know, it's the, the Apple TV, I think will be a nice sort of in much ways, like many ways, like the watch, it's just an add on to the main product that Apple sells, like, which is the, the iPhone. 
it's like the iPad in, in many ways, the the watch, now the Apple TV. These are all just add-ons to the the iOS ecosystem that exists for the iPhone. Yeah. And and you know, and I think the the value that you can get out of being there, I, I think you make a very good point about about that window being fairly narrow. I think how narrow it is depends on how easy it is to develop for it and how many people realize how quickly they need to be developing for it or they want to be developing for it. So with the iPhone, that was very, very quick, really, because the iPhone already had a massive installed base. There was tons of pent-up demand to develop for it and people like knocked the doors down to get there. Most platforms don't work that way. Um, the watch, I think, has has kind of fizzled out. Almost. The watch, I think, is kind of at a standstill right now. I don't, I don't know of any really interesting stuff that's happened on the watch in the last month, say. You know, like, it, it seems like not a lot is going on there, and we'll talk about that in future episodes, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. And the TV is now out, but it's starting from an installed base of zero for a product that people are excited about, but not so excited that they're going to go out and, and like raid all the stores and deplete all the stock on day one. So it's gonna it, that's going to have a slower buildup. And so if that buildup is slower, also on the developer supply side, where fewer developers are jumping in so soon, so quickly, then I think you do have a, a wider window. Like, I would say the biggest sales day for Apple TV apps this year is going to be the day after Christmas. And if you are there, I think you can still sell a nice $10 game the day after Christmas in, in big volumes this year, but probably not next year. We'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm a more on the skeptical side of that, but I think you're right insofar as that's a reasonable, it, it's going to, this, the next few months will be interesting for it. And I think the Apple TV, I, I will ultimately develop for it though, and which is probably a, a good place to wrap up is to say, like, I expect to make my, make apps for it, mostly because having a nicely rich, it, it's, it's a checkbox that I can check for from for some of my applications to say like give make them just that little bit more appealing to somebody if someone was on the fence about downloading my app and they're like oh it'll work for the apple tv awesome then it's like that little little thing but it's not a priority for me insofar as i don't think it's going to ever be a primary driver for my business it's like same as the watch i make watch apps for a lot of my apps mostly just so that it's like if someone if for that narrow group of people where that's all they needed to go over the edge then it was worthwhile for me but in and of itself it's probably not yeah, and that that could be a whole episode right there. Um, and I I totally agree with everything you just said. That I'm also I expect to to launch Xcode for the first time to make an Apple TV app probably this week. I, I'd like to see how easy it is to get Overcast to run on it. But again, it's like it's a it's kind of a value add to use a business term. I'm sorry. Uh, it's kind of that for Overcast on iOS in general, rather than like I don't expect to make a lot of money on Apple, on the Apple TV by itself. But anyway, we are running out of time this week, so we want to keep the show nice and short so people can listen to it quickly and don't feel overloaded by it. So uh, let's wrap it up this week. David, thank you, I guess. I don't know. We've never done an ending before. We don't have a song. So what are we going to do? Just stop? Probably just stop. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for listening, whoever's listening to this. And uh, hopefully we will uh, see you again for the next episode. Yep. See you under the radar.